0: Welcome to Talkless Water, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the world of water with those making waves. My name is Todd Bottler, and I'm your host for Talkless Water. I'm also the editor in chief of Texas with Water and the Texas Water Journal. My guest today is Mark Boyd, principal engineer at LCA Engineering and adjunct professor of civil and environmental engineering at SMU. Recently, Mark was chair of the Texas Infrastructure Report Card Committee, or the Texas Section of the American Society of Civil Engineers.
1: Well, thanks for having me. Uh, It's my pleasure to be here.
0: Great. So let's start out with your background in water. How did you first become involved with water?
1: Well, my answer might be a little unusual, but I'll tell you what. uh, Like everyone, my first involvement with water started with my first sippy cup. Now, of course, I'm, I'm kidding about that, right? But it, it makes a point. So, uh, you know, we're all heavily immersed in water. And I, and I see your, your intro has some puns on water. So we're all heavily immersed in water in the, from the get-go. And whether we realize it or not, uh, what kind of water we're immersed in, it's it's kind of a matter of whether or not you take access to clean water for granted. So how how did I get that appreciation and, and context? Well. I, I was born in Lahore, Pakistan, which is a semi arid place. It's a place that, uh, that, you know, it, it, it does rain, but it, it, it doesn't rain very much for most of the year, June to September during monsoon season. And I, and I don't remember a whole lot about it, three years there. But my dad told stories and he, amongst the Kipling X S stories of the mongoose and the, uh, and the Cobras and the trips to the Taj to- Mahal, he also talked a lot about lack of infrastructure. He talked a lot about, about scarcity of water resources. He was helping the schools out there, and helping people uh, develop, and help develop in a, in a U.S. mission he had there. So after Pakistan, actually, I, I spent the rest of my growing up, most of the rest of my growing up in, uh, in Latin America, where also the importance of, of good drinking water and clean waterways was split right in my face, you know, all the time. Uh, oil and water notices, which we don't rumble about here, happen every every once in a while. They were a part of life uh, where I, most of the places I grew up. Open sewers. I, I lived near an open sewer in a middle class neighborhood in La Paz, Bolivia, uh, when I was a teenager going to high school. And, uh and and so that that kind of that that's kind of shocking but I, I didn't really decide to become a water engineer even at that point uh, it's just set set the stage i think for that decision i actually talk a, a lot about this in an article i wrote in the texas civil engineer uh february 2021 article if you want if you all want to read about it but but really i was hoping to follow in my dad's footsteps dr claude boyd now he wasn't an engineer but He was into helping people and making a difference in in some ways in infrastructure. So I went on to earn my doctorate at SMU, changed my major my first year, really, Uh, and and, uh, did follow my dad's footsteps because, as you've introduced, I'm an adjunct professor at SMU and been so for over 20 years teaching water classes, graduate water classes. That's in addition to my
0: full-time job at LCA Environmental. That's great. That's great. So, was your uh, what did your your father teach? Where did he, where did he teach? Well, he
1: originally taught at Penn State University, but he got a grant uh, to go to Pakistan. He, uh, my mom was pregnant with me, uh, and they had, my mom had never been out of the country. Not sure my dad had, even, but uh, but that was to go uh, uh, develop teacher training, and the grant was to develop teacher training and uh, translate.
0: Have you had a chance to travel much uh, during your professional career and see some of these other places where, you know, water issues are, are, are so important?
1: Absolutely. I've revisited some of those places, um, in fact, that I grew up in because I still, my, wa- my wife is from Bolivia. So we, we returned to La Paz uh, and uh, things have improved and changed. I talked about it in my article but as far as working around the world, I, I have uh, stayed mostly uh, in the United States, did a little work in Mexico. Uh, I've also been to Lima for quite a bit. I have family there. And, uh, and and uh, you know, things have improved and changed some, but there's a lot more people than there used to be. So there's a lot more stress on the environment and on infrastructure now
0: than, than before. So let's come back. To the United States, this is a good uh, place to start talking about water infrastructure here. So, uh, the American Society of Civil Engineers Infrastructure Report Card. Um, why did the ASCE uh, start rating infrastructure across America, and what do you think the impact has been of of that report card?
1: Well, uh, nationally. A- ASC is now sitting at 150,000 members, and and we, uh, as as a national group, have a have a mission or we feel an obligation to educate the public on the condition of our state's infrastructure. And of course, the most expeditious way of educating the public is also educating legislators, or at least that's the theory. At, at a at a state level, the Texas section of ASCE is about ten thousand civil engineers, and we have a parallel mission with our state report card. So uh, our efforts include uh, state state drive ins to the the state capital and national drive ins to the to the uh, to Washington. Uh, the first national report card rolled out in nineteen ninety eight and that was an an effort really to distill conditions to something, you know, we're all familiar with rather than beat our head against the wall as engineers and try to articulate in great detail as we of course can and nauseating detail exactly what needs to happen, what the condition is. We thought maybe that letter grade that although not everybody likes, everyone's familiar with is the way to go. Uh, so the first one rolled out in 98. The first the first state report card rolled out in 2004. So we feel like it's gaining traction. It's being talked about, mentioned more than ever, and that's the whole point of this, is raising awareness of infrastructure issues from, after all, the subject matter experts. Uh, and uh, there's a parallel effort going on at National called the Failure to Act, which which runs in concert with the report card. Uh, According to a National Business Roundtable, every dollar invested in infrastructure yields three dollars yields and seventy cents in environmental growth in, in economic growth. So if we do it right, then it'll also yield dividends in quality of life and environmental improvement. If we do it the modern way, we know we know how to do that. Engineers know how to do The report card is really to promote investment in us, in, in the kind of, in the nation, and in our state. I believe the report has become a, an effective tool to inform state and national legislative bodies of our expert view of infrastructure conditions and the right infrastructure solutions. Now, superficially, we made a few inroads, too. Uh, the report card was actually mentioned in a Hollywood script in an episode of Designated Survivor, where fictional President Kirkland, played by K- Kiefer Sutherland, brought it up in the Oval Office as a, a bad bridge grade, I think, based on a fictional Minnesota collapse, but Minnesota Bridge collapse, of course, that doesn't exactly need to be fictional, right? That, that, that sounds pretty close to home, except maybe I can't tell you whether the report card's really been brought up in the Oval Office or not.
0: So, uh, water is just one of the elements um, that is part of that report card, um, and then there's subcategories under. To water, I guess. I mean, or elements of it. What what kind of grades did ASCE give America overall before we start talking about Texas? how did the U.S. do overall?
1: Uh, yeah, and and one of the things I wanted to mention first off is an important component of both the national and and the state report card is what the heck is the grade based on? Because because I do get that question a lot. It's not just the nuts and bolts. It's not just is the bridge holding things up or not? Is, is the road in good condition or bad? Are there potholes? Uh, are the channels wide enough? It's its capacity, its condition, its funding, future need, operation and maintenance, public safety, resilience. And Resilience is an important aspect we're looking for whether we're moving in the right direction. Resilience is something we're aspiring to, and innovation. And innovation is also a tough one because engineers are talking about innovating all the time. It's easy to talk about. It's hard to get decision makers at the local and state and federal level to really to really adopt innovative approaches. So when we see that in evaluating a report card, that, that gives the, the grading perhaps a boost. Uh, but nationally, uh, the... Uh, uh, the Committee on America's Infrastructure uh, issued a GPA of C minus. That's actually up from a D in 2017.
0: Uh, now, that's for
1: not just for water, that's for everything. That's the, sure. the grade point average. That's the GPA, exactly. Uh, at, at the state level, our GPA that, we, that my committee uh, 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 put forth was a C which we also improved over last time. So the national graded 17 different categories, so they have the benefit of a lot more resources than we do at the state level. It's a large committee. Uh, A lot more people are paid at that level than at the state level. But the worst, just to mention a couple of these, uh, the worst grade was the transit grade at D minus. There were a bunch of Ds, some of them involved water, uh, roads, schools, hazardous waste, stormwater, which we call here in Texas flood risk mitigation, uh, inland waterways, transit, levees, and wastewater all got a D grade, anywhere from a D minus to a D plus. Uh, the best grades in the national were uh, B's and a the, the B minus for ports and a, and, a, and a B for rail. And the rail is not, the, tra- the transit got a very bad grade. It was the worst grade. This is freight rail. Got to be water related on national. To summarize that, <coughs> excuse me, uh, drinking water was a C minus at national. Stormwater was a D. Uh, wastewater, D plus. Dam's a D and levees a D. So not a, not a pretty picture from the report card standpoint nationally.
0: So I'm curious, have those <clears throat> been pretty steady since 98? It, or have you seen seen them go up or go down in general? Just any kind of impression about how those have, have moved those grades for the U.S.
1: I think I think uh, nationally, nationally, if you look, at the, and uh, at the end of the program here, I'll give the link to it, but you can look back at the history of the report card. But but nationally, uh, maybe possibly very creepy, slow. Uh, Progress upwards. For instance, the GPA did move up from a, uh, from a, a D plus in 2017 to a C minus, which means some of the categories did improve. Now, sometimes the sat categories take a slide back, and oftentimes they stay uh, about the same. I mean, the, the idea is just to be persistent in our message and hope that that this will take steadily take hold in the consciousness that. It truly really is an investment in infrastructure
0: that, that we benefit from. So staying on the national level and thinking about the investment in infrastructure that you, you just mentioned, um, there's, of course, a, a federal stimulus bill that is working its way through the U.S. Senate. And uh, there is a lot of money in that bill that is, uh, reserved for water related infrastructure. Just curious, um, how you think the outlook is if that bill passes kind of the way we, we see it right now, I guess, you know, that could still be amended. Um, and would that be a, you know, a significant, uh, factor in maybe improving the overall report card in the U S and, particularly for water. Well, uh,
1: uh, I'm really glad you asked that question this week, because there's, there's a lot going on uh, this week. Uh, if they are under amendment discussions right now. Last Wednesday, the Senate voted to move forward with with the agreement, and they voted in pretty wide margin. 17 Republicans uh, joined Democrats to vote for moving forward. And Sunday night, they... Finalize some of the legislation language that are being discussed right now. The 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 and yes, you're, you're right. It, it could change, uh, but some of this probably won't change remarkably. Uh, what's in the bipartisan agreement, uh, as of just a day or two ago, is a total of a trillion dollars that they that they tag for infrastructure spending bill. But what we've identified that's related specifically to ASC infrastructure uh, report card categories is about 550 billion, and that uh, runs the gamut: 110 billion for roads, bridges, 11 billion for uh, trucking safety and traffic, which and, and includes some some oil and gas pipeline modernization, 39 billion for public transit repair, which which addresses the poor transit grid, 66 billion for passenger freight rail repair, which says, maybe we'll improve upon the good grade that, that rail freight got. Uh, that's always a good thing. $7.5 billion for electric vehicle charging, $7.5 billion for low carbon electric buses and ferries, port infrastructure uh, $17 billion, airports $25 billion. So here we get to some some uh, some water areas. $50 billion for cyber resilience wildfire flood mitigation, ecosystem weatherization. But Specifically, 55 billion for water infrastructure—that would be drinking water, stormwater, and wastewater, which is which is greatly needed. The national got gave itself very poor grades in those categories. Um, so, one uh, I'd like to see, because I practice in this area also, in the, in the sense of water quality protection, is 21 billion for environmental remediation, hazardous waste cleanups. That's that's very much needed. And 73 billion for nation's power. So the answer is, if it finally pushes through, uh, yes, that would affect the Committee on America's infrastructures uh, uh, outlook three or four years from now when they're producing their report card. Right. We also look yeah. at well, it's been passed. It's been implemented. How was it implemented? Was the money spent wisely, properly, effectively? Of course, but. Uh, money and uh, funding always influences the grade because it's one of the metrics. Um, uh, our position, and I've spoken with national public relations about this, our, our position at state and national level on the legislative approach is that we support it. It's a, It's a good start, but nationally, we identified a $2.59 trillion funding deficit for all the infrastructure categories, so... 550 billion is exactly just that, a good start.
0: Well, you know, <clears throat> always kind of wonder about these things, um, whether there's any hint or um, any indication that uh, the Sanders who are drafting the infrastructure bill, you know, read the report that y'all put out. Um, it seemed like that would be a pretty good place to start if you were trying to draft a bill on infrastructures to take a look at uh, what engineers in the United States think are the priorities. but I, I don't know if you if there's any way to know whether whether that ever came up in their conversations or not.
1: well, it, it certainly came up in conversations that our membership had with them because we in prior years, Prior years, when we actually fly into Washington, uh, we sit down with aides. We we rarely get the actual congressman or senator, but we get their aides. Uh, they tell us the congressman or senator is aware and has read and knows the issues. And we summarize it for them as succinctly and as it has to be a little more than just letter grade, right? It has to be some amount of detail on our recommendations and conditions. So we try to keep it fairly. Non-technical, but uh, as far as our efforts are concerned, we have to assume and not have take a cynical view that yes, there's certainly been uh, <clears throat> briefed on the report card This past uh, this past uh, few months, of course, with the pandemic. <coughs> excuse me. This past few months with the pandemic, of course, has been a challenge. So we we didn't do. Uh, uh, I wasn't part of it, but. But we, we did more of a Zoom a zoom outreach, but a very systematic one. And we also have what's called a key contact. In fact, a um, key contact list, in fact, just last night I, I fired off an a email that was written for me, and I tweaked it a little bit, but to, to the two state senators that I vote uh, in districts to here in Texas um, that, uh, that, look, uh, we support this uh, infrastructure bill. And it does, It does. It does as far as the broader category, those in lockstep to the report card. It, the, the important thing is in the detail how it's implemented, and that, that, that goes to where the funding is going at state level and how decision makers decide to prioritize where the money needs to go.
0: So I've been in a number of those same kind of meetings in D.C., and uh, you know, always kind of. I mean, everyone's why we would have the the you know senator or congressman um, at the meeting, but you know, most of the time it's the staff and and I always judged. You know how you know seriously we were being taken by the age of the staffer. It seems like you know the person who just just graduated from college and they're like just starting out. You know, if that's the person you get it. it generally is a reflection that um, that that member of Congress is maybe not taking it so seriously. If you get the senior person, then, you know, they're, they're the ones who are really running the show in that office. And, you know, you're always kind of hoping that they will be the ones who show up at the meeting. It's, you know, because it's a better sign, right? Yes. And for all of us as a group at ASC, when we go, it's hit or miss.
1: We, uh, we gather up afterwards. Uh, I've been... Involved in one Washington fly-in, and in one case I did get an incredibly young <laughs> staffer, um, but or seemed to be very young anyway. And uh, and in other in other cases, not so much. So as, as a group, I think sometimes we we hit, sometimes we miss. But it's been since '98, I think, a pretty persistent growing, uh, you know, sort of a din. Or, or echo out into the wilderness from us, from A to That's slowly gaining some kind of
0: awareness and traction. So, from the national level, let's come back to Texas. Uh, you know, it's. I remember when the report card came out here. I mean, it was right. I mean, right at the end, or a few days after Winter Storm Yuri. And, uh, you know, people were listening, don't call what happened there. That's when, you know, a lot of people in Texas in February, uh, didn't have any power or water. Uh, my family, we, uh, we didn't have water for a week. Uh, and so when that came out, I was like, wow, they, you know, I, I guess this is just a coincidence that it came out, you know, right after that event. But I thought that was in a lot of ways is perfect timing, um, for your effort there, uh, because at least it I imagine this, which probably not the case that, Hey, people, are good, people in the legislature here, since the legislature was in session, they're going to, they're going to take that report and they're going to read it. Um, well, you know, the, uh, uh, regular, regular session of the legislature ended at the end of May. And, uh, the governor, Governor Abbott and the leadership and the legislature vowed to address the root vulnerabilities of our power and water supply issues that were, were uncovered by the storm. Um, and, uh, you know, now that that session's over, how do you think they did?
1: Well, um, it, yeah, it, it was a pretty interesting timing, wasn't it? Uh, there's, there's good and bad to that. It certainly brought to the attention of some of the vulnerabilities of infrastructure. Um, from our point of view in uh, in the, the committee on America's, Infra- on, on Texas infrastructure report card committee, which is 55 really hardworking engineers that I, that I worked with, uh, that had been working for a whole year. Really, our, our data and our grades are are based on on information through the end of twenty twenty, and the beginning of twenty twenty one is simply drafting it up and publishing it. So the timing was almost precise. And unfortunately, we call it the big elephant in the room for one standpoint, which is that the energy grade got a B plus. Now, um, uh, to, to some, which is the best grade in the report card, uh, into that just from. You know, for a moment, in a moment, but the storm left four and a half million Texans without power. And the most recent uh, the most recent information I've seen is upwards of around 700 deaths that are either indirectly or directly tied to that storm. So it was a devastating event. Some people freezing to death in their own homes. Um, but we certainly got a lot of questions about it. I uh, just wanted to uh, uh, clarify here that, and I've done it several times in presentation, we we urged the Committee on Emergency Infrastructure to allow us to to evaluate the electric grid separately from the oil and gas situation in Texas. And we didn't want us to deviate from the pattern, from the national pattern. So we issued a single grade. The truth is that Texas is the U.S. and the world in oil and gas production, the energy innovator, and Oil production has increased dramatically over the last seven or eight years, so we we stand by our B plus grade. But here's what we did: uh, we formed a committee that was very similar, and I'm in the middle of working on it with it. It's very similar to the committee we formed after Hurricane Harvey, we presented a report to the legislature and some of our some of our flood. Um, uh, flood plan recommendations and funding recommendations were followed, which which led, by the way, to an uh, improvement in the grade. Well, we are in the middle of, of producing a report on the winter storms. We're trying to make it apolitical, uh, not, I wouldn't say bipartisan because it's not going to be a political document. It's just an apolitical document by engineers that, that addresses not just the winter storm, we call it the on storm, but we, we address the vulnerability of the grid not just as it relates to the grid itself and service to the public, but as it relates to all the other infrastructure, water and wastewater and transportation include and how it's interconnected, try to inform the public and legislators on how it's interconnected and what, and also we've gone a great deal into how, you know, what, what happened and, and what to do about it. Now, as far as the question about legislation, I want to stay in my lane on that, um, but I can't tell you that rather than citing a bunch of of, of, of house uh, bills, and I'm sure to make a mistake, you know, there, there are basically four categories for the legislation. Just let me cherry-pick some stuff. In the category of changes to governance, you have the overhaul of ERCOT, you have the establishment of ERCOT, board selection committee, and we have the creation of, the Texas Energy Reliability Council, another, another council. That's not really something that, you know, the, the report card addresses. It, it addresses, it addresses hard transmission infrastructure, which in reality, I'm told, really kind of held up uh, during the storm. Uh, it's the feeding of the transmission through the process. It really failed. Now, uh, the other part of the legislature that the Legislative Trust changes to the structure of the electric market. That includes things like changes to procurement and pricing of wholesale energy and reliability products. Now here's where we get to changes to reduce the risk. Here's where we get to something that's more in our real house. Although the committee is addressing everything because we have, we have people from all uh, angles. So we have energy consultants that definitely know about weatherization and emergency preparedness is something that we are focused in on in the in the report and in the committee. A little bit different take, I think, but, but we're focused in on it, and that's in the legislature. We're glad to see that in the legislation. We'll have to see what kind of detail will come out of that, what kind of timing is going to come out of that. And a designation the regulation of critical gas supply chain is in there, which is also needed. I'm just cherry picking some stuff that. Then the, the fourth category that really the legislation addresses is changes to address the cost, the actual cost of the February storm, which includes the process of using the rainy day fund to finance non-electric cooperative earth defaults, among, among other things. and so the process of, of securing weatherization, storm hardening, and system restoration costs. Now, again, that seems like they did a lot, but My answer is going to be very similar to the national, uh, to the national bill, which is that, uh, will, will what they promulgated, legislated, prevent an event such as we just experienced? It seems like, and I got to tell you, this is not on the press yet. This is, this is in the middle of very, very detailed discussions, not all of which I understand, quite frankly. (laughs) But um, it seems like the answer from the committee is going to be it's not enough, but it's a good start. You know, uh, data, the data that if we have, I was in the subcommittee part that looked at that looked at weather. The data shows the entire state was enveloped in a, for about a whole week and maximum daily temperatures, 20 degrees below normal. And some areas that meant a full week of maximum temperatures for below freezing and others that meant uh, just that, just very, very cold for that time of year. But here's the thing, is if you look at the reports and we've been doing that, the problems started creeping up even before these dire critical conditions, which means the system is vulnerable even to something not as bad as this event. Which no one, including me, has ever said is a one-off event. Because we had a horrendous event in Texas in 1940. Basically, the 1940 event, I looked at it and double, double this in time and then tack on a week on each side of of fairly cold weather. And you had the 1940 Mm -hmm. event. If we got hit by that, uh, there'd be, there'd be no telling what would happen. So in, in simple terms, a couple things that I want to point out. The committee is really my part of my discussion is really I've listened to them iterate to this idea of black start, which which I don't see a lot of the legislators really focusing on. How do we absolutely positively keep being four minutes from complete calamity? Which apparently was not hyperbole. It was not it was not exaggeration. We were four minutes from calamity, which means weeks if not more of being of going back with, to what the committee might end up citing as uh, parallels to Mad Max uh, mm-hmm. uh, which I guess you you're my generation know that know that reference right um, So that's dire consequences. that's unbelievable cost. And, uh, and what would you need to spend to keep that from happening as engineers when we'll do cost and risk analysis, whatever it takes. I mean, we're not often in a position as engineers to say whatever it takes, but actually whatever it takes. But as it turns out to really get to that point, it's not about throwing money at it. It's about, it's about emergency preparedness, actually, and planning and or for, for – um, of practicing the communication that's needed to whatever structure they came up with in the legislative governance structure, they need every summer to look at the forecast because the forecasts for the, this past winter were spot on. It was that's another thing that came out of the committee. The forecast months, the long term forecasts were spot on. The, the the two or three week prior forecast, the immediate forecasts were spot on to these conditions. And we've looked at what ERCOT's emergency preparedness condition was set to and it was not set to what was forecast. Um, now uh a couple of other things on that um uh, that might be of interest if you think we have time. But the black start sure. the, the Black Start Generators, uh I'm not I'm not sure that the public or legislators are aware of what they do at each generating point. But what they actually do, they have generators that will help them pop back the, the grid back up in their local area. All right. So if they can't feed off of some grid that's, that's functioning, uh, at, at a less than optimal level, actually start their generator back up when they've been, they've come down for whatever reason because of winterizing, whatever, because of lack of winterizing, for whatever reason, they're down and down. So those generators themselves need fuel. Most of the black start generators are single fuel generators. Most of them are not dual fuel. So the two fuels, as I understand it, would be diesel and natural gas. All right. So most of them are actually natural gas, and furthermore, most of them don't have on site on site reserves to fuel up those generators. So okay. they depend on transmission of of natural gas during the crisis, and of course the transmission of natural gas is that is da- the grid's down and the next grid over, which means that the transmission is cut off, which means the black start generators themselves can't function. So that's just one thing that's come out. very. It's detailed, I know, but it, it, to me it was an epiphany of a sense This doesn't seem like it should cost a lot of money to take care of, for instance. Uh, we're talking about maybe 30 or 60 days of dual fuel for every generator point. That, and I don't know that that's in the legislature in detail or not. I know winterizing is, but is that detail in there? I, I don't I don't really know. Um, so, uh, you know, that, that kind of uh, gives uh, gives you kind of a little bit of a perspective on where we are and what we did. But, but the, yes, the, the, the timing of the storms, was very interesting. It did bring awareness to infrastructure, and I think as it turned out, I really did not get a lot of heat. It was just very uh, 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 understandable questions about the grade that we that, that we got a lot of nods. We we understand that we we were looking at three years of data and progress across all these areas, and not whether. Whether the systems of government, if governance and market forces would conspire to, to the perhaps in some areas, poorly winterized systems for this to happen. There's no way that any of my folks could have known something like this might happen. Uh, you know, back when we kicked this off in early 2020.
0: Well, you know, when you think of you know legislators responding to current events to take some action. Uh, you know all the times that I've worked with the legislature during, or usually after droughts or floods. You know the the drought had you know ended in the summer or in the fall, uh, or the flood had been in the spring or the fall. And here the legislature convenes in January; it has to be done by in May. And you know it, they usually don't have those events going on during the session. And so we're always trying to talk about here's what just happened, or remind them that hey we're not out of this drought yet, and here's what's going to happen this summer. But I mean, you know, you have this event right, you know, during the session. Uh, and uh, by the way, I had some very bad timing. I was I was in Montana and had been in Montana for months, and then uh, uh, you know we moved back to Austin, you know, and we're here to you know, just in time for uh, winter storm, you know, you're in all the aftermath. But, um, you know, that it's, I was, you know, had really high hopes that because of the timing of the event with the session going on that that we were going to come out of it with something, you know, just would be, you know, essentially a fundamental change in how we do things. Yeah. And it's not really what happened. But, you um, at least we did get some uh, measures that that uh, could help to prevent something like that again. Um, but uh, I don't know. Were you surprised when wasn't done?
1: Uh, no, I wasn't surprised. I was disappointed. Um, but but there's only some. I mean, you used to look at all the bills that were considered, and they were doing that as part. It's almost like a special session that was needed just for the winter storm. Because it gobbled up a lot of their time, but they still had to address other issues that they were dealing with. Of course, lots of those have nothing to do with their infrastructure. Um, uh, the surprise, no, but that's exactly why we don't want to be in a position as a, a society to point fingers and say they didn't do enough. Uh, it's more like uh, something more positive to say this is a good start. And in the case of, uh, what I've learned about a black start, uh, uh, you know my my initial my initial jumping into this I really almost didn't become part of the committee because it cobbled up so much of my time last year that the report card did, but I, I couldn't I couldn't help myself and I was a little bit excited to actually try to calculate the recurrence interval of this winter storm event and I have. Uh, circle back around to say this 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 report is not going to include a calculation of that because it it doesn't matter the the it doesn't matter how low or high risk or high probability this event is Mm -hmm. the grid cannot cannot come near black start again It, it and 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 so um you know and 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 because of the way that thousands of people a day are there moving to Texas and because a, a change in consuming energy is changing constantly, um, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be even anything as bad as this event to, to do this again until something is, for this to happen again until some, uh, some systemic changes are made across all these areas, governments and engineering and hardening and not so much transmission,
0: but transmission can always use some work. Right, right. You know, there's a I think there's a general um uh you know, hesitancy uh today to talk too much about these re recurrence intervals um because of the issue with stationarity and you know, you know, examining um you know, for example, um Water rights based on water, you mean, you know, hydrologic conditions that had happened, you know, for the prior 100 mm-hmm. years, you know, given, you know, the likelihood that, uh, you know, we're in a period when we're going to have a, many more extremes. Mm-hmm. And so, um, now I, I, you know, I certainly would understand, you know, not doing that because, of course, people would focus on that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, well, you know, we didn't. May, might not happen for another thousand years or something. Or, exactly. I mean, the whole problem with the 100-year floodplain, which, you know, I'm always like, ah. don't use that term. You know, 1% floodplain, even the 1%, you know, people, I think, don't really have a very good grasp yeah. on risk, right? That's so confusing, um, people, yeah. Right. So let's look specifically at these categories for the Texas report card that had to do with water, um, so what did what did Texas get in its water grades, and um, why do you think that um, the specific grades uh, were what they were? Yeah. Well, well,
1: I, I, as I mentioned, the, the the state GPA was a C, which is which is which is up from a from a C minus last time, and, and there were some areas of improvement. So let's start with one of those areas of improvement: flood risk mitigation, which uh, which Texas is unique in state report cards and national report cards for calling it that. We fought hard to call it that. The Texas Water Development Board uses that term, and I like that term. Also, we we as engineers we shouldn't pretend to the public that we can control floods. the The uh, category before was called flood control, actually. All right, so. That grade's improving, but with one in 10 Texans exposed to moderate or high river flooding, there's there's still work to do. Senate Bill 500, after the uh, after Hurricane Harvey established the state flood plan, according in some sense to uh, ASCE reports and recommendations, uh, flood, there's a flood infrastructure fund created, but you know, um, and so there was a lot of... Uh, progress not just in funding, but in planning and and uh, refining of Texas Water Development Board uh, responsibilities. So we look at all that and we think progress was made. But in context of all that, still 189 flood-related deaths in 2015-2019 was the highest in the United States, and Harvey's death toll was the most since any coastal hurricane since 1990. So. The still that C-minus grade. We need more protective policies and smart development. In other words, the grade improved, but it's still a mediocre grade. Because we need those more protective policies. We need innovation, uh, uh, whether it's uh, whether it's uh, uh, you know infiltrating roadways or pavement or or something. But uh, we're we need a greater commitment to planning and design using new climate and weather data that's available. So, for instance, going to your point just a minute ago, is NOAA Atlas 14 is out. It takes forever yeah. for a new Atlas to come out. And when it finally comes out, it seems to take forever for it to take hold in engineering design, right? Well, just to one example, in the Houston area, 24 hour, 100 year, and I'm with you, I hate that term. I wish they would have never come up with it. I remember my professors talking about it 30 years ago, how much they hated it. But that 24 hour, 100 year uh, storm, rain, rainfall, rainfall now increased by five inches in the Houston area five inches. So we're, we're looking, part of the recommendation, the report card is for the next time, wherever the committee is going to be, they need to look at, keep tabs at, you know, uh, uh, As there being progress being made and paying attention to the new weather and climate, because it's there, it's there, it's, 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 it's adjusted, it's projections, and uh, and uh, and that's one of our recommendations. So funding shortfall on on flood risk mitigation thirty one point five billion. Uh, drinking water
0: C minus C minus. Before you go on to yeah, to sure. to drinking water. So flood mitigation. Um. So. You know, I, I'm really encouraged by the new, um, you know, flood uh, mitigation planning process, which is going to produce the new state flood plan. And there's a little, I mean, not a little $1.8 billion associated with that. But, you know, you do point out the magnitude of, the, of what's needed just over a 10 year period, you know, 31 and a half billion. Um, it seems like I've been, working on flood issues in Texas off and on for 20 years going back I can't remember which flood it was maybe the 98 flood um it, uh it that was just you know unbelievable event in uh south central texas uh and you know not much if anything had been done and now the legislature has done something at least um which is good and I have high hopes for that process, but wow, it's a, I mean, you know, it's really gonna take a lot of money. Um and you know, I'm hoping maybe that the stimulus, federal stimulus might help with some of that, but it, but it but um it's probably gonna end up being uh money that's gonna need most of it's gonna probably need to come from the state or from local governments or or, or someone to Close that kind of a gap.
1: Oh, definitely, because the the fifty five billion that's in the current plan, federal plan, goes to water, wastewater, and flood mitigation. So you got to divide that up, prioritize it to all the states in the country. Texas won't get that much. So right. Uh, wh- what we look at is incremental improvements, and uh, it's not an automatic that the next uh, that the next committee the grade of blood risk mitigation again, but it's not like C minus is a very something to be real proud of either. It's just it means that you started from a worse place, right? Um, yeah. Uh, but but still, uh, because of the things you mentioned, and 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 it's it's in the report card that our the the most recent legislative action is not considered in the report card because it was it was all up to twenty through the end of twenty twenty. Certainly, that's something that the next committee will be looking at. On uh, drinking water, C-minus, that one also improving. Uh, We saw improved funding and financing for keeping up with population growth, but we're still seeing a $26.8 billion funding gap there, 50 years. So, uh, you know, again, the federal program is $55 billion, a whole ball of and
0: for the whole country. So... Maybe that'll be some seed money for Texas to continue to improve this. Uh, well, you see also uh, you've got in here, you acknowledge that, you know, we've got more than a thousand people moving to Texas yep. every day on average. And we're now, at, we're, I think we're pretty much at 30 million and we're going to a little over 50 million, 51 million by 2070, um, placing additional demands on uh, drinking water infrastructure, the uh, the new state water plan, uh, which has just been approved, uh, I think was it now the price tag for that's eighty billion. I think we, you know, this is and here you talk about the previous plan, but I think the new plan is about eighty billion. Um, and so, gosh, you know, all these Bs adding up, um, it's a It's just a lot of money that's needed.
1: It's a lot of money, and and I thought it was interesting, one of the flood risk mitigation chapters that the committee chose to describe, that it might be uh, behoove the state to uh, make sure it has a good mix of shovel-ready and study projects, right? Because spending all this money on studying for whatever issue, your uh, flood risk, drinking water, wastewater, doesn't doesn't, uh, work well with the public. You, you, you need, you need some things in front of them that says, this is your, your, your dollars at work, you know, kind of thing. But, but right. I, think you and I both attended the Texas groundwater conference, and I think that the key to resilience, perhaps in the drinking water area, it may be just continued improvement that I think the committee saw in conservation. It could be things like groundwater aqua route storage management, improvements in water conservation, conservation awareness, and use of Water resources out there that don't have to be drinking water, that and, and brackish groundwater that can be used for industrial purposes. They can redirect or leave more of the freshwater sources for fresh water. So uh, those are all, I think, points of optimism. Mm-hmm. We we'll see some progress there. Wastewater um, that was that great, and and and. Uh, it was a D and it stayed the same from last time. Uh, but I tell you, the committee really just, you know, the committee, really, the committee really debated hard and lobbied for a D license. And what we had to point out was that, uh, look, that may be in poor shape, but that's too close to an F. And the only F to the state report card has ever, has ever been issued for a state is Puerto Rico's not a state. There are a common law, so did issue a report card for Puerto Rico, and the energy grade uh, in the wake of Hurricane Maria, which is within their evaluation period, was was an act for energy. But we're not there with wastewater, but I tell you what, the, the sanitary sewer overflows flows have doubled over the last few years. Uh, that concludes uh, that the... the The fees are not there. It's underfunded. You're going to. If we're not seeing it already, we're going to see deterioration in surface water and possibly groundwater supplies because of that. But you know what? The thing about wastewater, we talk about this all the time, is that it's just not attractive. Uh, You know, it's not easy to define uh, the importance to the public of wastewater. You know, it's flushed out of sight, is flushed out of mind. I guess. Right. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. but yet it's so important because it's, inter- it's an interdependence with the drinking water structure, infrastructure, the service water, and ground- groundwater quality protection. And we've identified a $250 million shortfall to what the actual cost is to withstand this population increase. Because what you have is, is you have a, a dire need, in many of these plants, and I'm working on a couple of these projects, uh, where uh, w- wastewater just simply needs uh, further uh, uh, retention of uh, volume simply to address the peak flows, the, well, the flooding. The flooding itself mm-hmm. causes some of the sewered overflow stuff. So, uh, so one of the big recommendations in wastewater was uh, to uh, increase the wage to reflect the true cost. And, gosh, I've, I've been hearing that since I was an undergraduate professor.
0: The true well, the, cost. Right, right. The 200 million, I guess that's an annual figure. Yes, that's an um, annual figure. I mean, that's, pay, I mean, everything else is in the billions. I mean, that seems like that's dual. I mean, exactly, it's doable and yet, and yet it's harder to get funding for
1: wastewater because the public sees it now, maybe not just the public, but legislators see it as more and this is my opinion, but it, it, it's, it's a little uh more attractive to be pushing drinking water projects or right. people from being flooded and drowned, you know, whereas right. wastewater spending a bunch of money on wastewater. And by the way, I mean, we have that we have the good news is this goes back to my background growing up in the in the developing world is the good news is we have the base best, best wastewater system on the planet. The bad news is that by unit by per gallon per liter it's the most expensive way to address uh wastewater um and it, it's it's a way we come up with and we well, a way we can afford but that's how we keep our our rivers and and our lakes uh, fishable and then later usable for actual drinking water supply.
0: Well, a increase of uh, sanitary sewer overflows from twenty five hundred to six thousand between two thousand sixteen and two thousand nineteen. Boy, that's that's a shocking number. I think I I remember reading a little bit about that. That um, we did have maybe more. Flooding events during that period that contributed to that, but still. Um, um, and we were coming out of a drought in 2015, that one that started in 2010 into 2010. But still, that's a that's a disturbing number to see that kind of a rating crease, in those type of events.
1: That is the range I use in my presentations. That's right. And uh, for the, the staff, it is it is to us, stunning to the public. I don't know what it means to the public. You know the the uh, they do their best to mitigate that, and it's also, I think, just systemic failures. But the the, the lack of the the if if much of the cause may have been uh, flooding, but that just means the wastewater system's not resilient. Resilient, right? So if the right. wastewater system's not resilient. That's one reason it gets a poor grade. Uh. Levy's got a D plus, just real quick about that. Uh, uh, there's no state levy safety program, which I learned in this process. Probably should have known that before I started, but the, the, the men and women on the COSO committee informed me of that. We don't really have much levy data. And that's right. the reason for the poor grades. There could possibly be billions. And if you're still going to ask me the question about what I'm most concerned about. I can tell you why I'm concerned about that one later on. And okay. The dams uh, D plus uh, that was improving. We thankfully do have a state have a dam safety program. We see implementation and um, and some progress that's providing the report card. Uh, but there's still five billion that I'm funding rehab for non-federal dams and $2.1 billion in repair rehab for a small watershed to support water and soil conservation
0: programs. So 7,200 non-federal dams, in our state, I, you know, I had some experience with this one too, and one of the issues has been the number of inspectors at TCQ, and I, they, you know, that's been improved, but, you know, they didn't improve very much, um, which, which really was uh, disappointing to me. The legislature, not TCQ, but the legislature didn't really, you know, increase the number of inspectors the, the way it, you know, probably should have, right? And um, so uh, there's so much up there, out there that's just not getting inspected.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's why... Improving means improving, but D-plus is a D-plus, right? So you mm-hmm. you don't tell – you don't pat your kid on the back saying, you know, you got a D-plus, yay, because you got a D last semester. I think you're still not going to – you're not going to – you're still going to have trouble graduating. Right. Right. Um, uh, so like we talked about just now, no one packs sewer systems, their own water supplies or flood protection in their suitcase when they come to Texas. So we're, we're swimming upstream without without adequate funding, which is why these grades are still, in some cases, improving. In other cases, not.
0: So which areas do you think the state is better positioned to address? And and which areas concern you the most? We touch on this, but yeah. um, more specifically. Well, uh, for water
1: issues, let's start the ones with the ones that concern me, and then we'll end the question on a the, on the positive. Uh, of greatest concern, we just talked about wastewater. I really don't have to amplify it on too much, but you, I'm glad you pointed out the actual statistics on the sewer overflow. And the sewer overflows are simply symptomatic that the system's not. There may be maintenance issues. It's all in the report card, but there may be maintenance issues. There's certainly capacity and expansion and and the lack of expansion plans in areas where populations are growing. And, you know, we're, we're, you know, municipalities are gobbling up extraterritorial jurisdictions all the time and expanding their systems. And yet, the, 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 the low end of things at the wastewater, the lowest elevation point, that's not getting enough attention. So that, that concerns me. That concerns me. Uh, and also because of the really, really uh you know, hundreds of, of of person years of experience in wastewater and the water and wastewater committee told me they wanted to give this category a D minus. So that kind of <laughs> worries me. Even you know it's not the official grade, right? Levy right. that one really scares me. We started to touch we started to touch on it, but Uh, You know, it turns out a million Texans and $127 billion in property are protected by levees in Texas. There are 327 systems, 567 miles, and 75% of those are screened, uh, have no screened risk classification. So at least the dams have inspectors, and they have a process and they have an agency. Levees don't. 100 miles are classified as high or very high-risk, uh, and there's no le- levy safety program, as we've said. So uh, that 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 definitely gives me pause, and we're hoping that someone will read our report and act on it at some point and create one of our recommendations as being a, a state levy program. I think it would be justified. I believe it or not, I'm a little optimistic, somewhat optimistic on flood risk. I attended a a conference the other day of um, of the council governments, uh, local government uh, officials, and the presenter. Um, I asked him that very question on 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 this, and I believe he was with the Trinity River uh, Authority. But but he said he's optimistic, but he's like me, you know, optimistic. Let's keep doing what we're doing and flood in flood risk. And uh but what needs to happen is that communities at the community level, the planning needs to be smart. It really needs to be smart. We can't backslide into being uh tempted to make you know economic development the 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 only thing you are thinking about rapid cheap economic development because that only results in more unwise decisions the engineers know better than uh, better than to do but but uh, they don't put the engineers in the position to make decisions and so it's kind of up to us to i think hold the line uh so um uh, not following the recommendations in the report card could cause us to backslide um on the non-water side, and I suppose it's non-water, but actually landfills actually got a a, a tick down on uh, on the grade to a B. but I still think we're doing a pretty good job um, you know with recycling and extending and extending the life cycle of the existing landfills. And we certainly have some of the best designed landfills. In the world, I think, in the United States, generally, people wouldn't believe, knowing the landfill engineers I know, goes into designing a safe landfill. And I think that's a pretty mature infrastructure uh, condition, and I'm pretty positive about that, uh, too.
0: Well, you know, we had an entire conversation on uh, water infrastructure and most of it was about Texas. And we didn't even mention the uh, collapse of the the two small dams in the Guadalupe River um, that, uh, you know, I used to work for the Guadalupe Blanco River Authority. And, you know, those dams were built in the the 1920s and 30s and lasted a long time. But, you know, uh, maybe, uh, you know, like many other things, In terms of our infrastructure, you know, we expect to, to get so much more out of these projects than they were really designed for originally. And, uh, if we are, uh, you know, kind of hoping to just, you know, keep nursing a lot of these facilities along, I mean, we've got, we've got to think much more about, um, the need to properly, uh, fund the replacement retirement, rehabilitation, maintenance, what what have you, of that infrastructure. Um, And, uh, you know, thankfully, your report card uh, gives us a roadmap to do that. So, uh, before we close here, Mark, why don't you tell us how we can find out more about the infrastructure report card or how our listeners can... Can find it and, and other resources.
1: Well, at, at the state level, the state level, all of the report cards, including 2021, are available at TexasASCE.org. org, or you could just Google Texas Infrastructure Report Card. Uh, what What you'll find is two versions: is the pocket version, which is a quick read, and then the 92 page version that has some of the uh, and more of the information that we've. Uh, we sort of sprinkled throughout this conversation specific data and information that was reviewed. But the committee, the 55 people on this committee, not all of them were volunteers. They just did a tremendous job backing up their opinions and their their, uh, their reasoned engineering opinions. Um, on, the, on the national level, every state report card, California, Alaska, Puerto Rico, all of them are available. Uh, or links available on infrastructurereportcard.org. That's one long word First, without spaces, infrastructurereportcard.org. I guess you could just Google ASCE National uh, Infrastructure Report Card make sure you use the infrastructure word, and a link is sure to come up. But um, as part of that, you'll also see access to ASCE's national failure to Hack Report. And, um, and that national website has the most current national report card as well, as, as well as a database archive of all the prior report cards.
0: So you can see for yourself sort of what the progression has been. Great. Great. Well, Mark, I want to thank you for joining us today on Talkless Water. And I also want to thank you for, um, you know, putting all that time and effort on the infrastructure report card committee and and your other members of the asce who volunteered all that time to come up with those reports for the other um 49 states well
1: no it's my pleasure and, and really i've become i have to share with you that i've become passionate about this really and fairly recent years of my career i've been thinking more about my childhood and my dad than ever before. Um, it's not the consulting hasn't been fulfilling, and teaching at SMU hasn't been. But I see this as a way to, in some small way, uh, see if we can make a difference. See if we can get somebody to pay attention and make the you know make the right right decisions and put enough money to putting the right decisions to work. So. Uh, Again, my pleasure to be here,
0: Todd. I appreciate it. Thank you for for inviting me. Well, we'll have to have you back uh, when the next report card comes out. We can talk about um, whether any of these grades uh, have gone up. There you go. That'd be great. Well, this has been Talkless Water. My guest today was Dr. Mark Boyd, chair of the Texas Infrastructure Report Card Committee or the Texas section of the American Society of Civil Engineers. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in and say that if you enjoyed the episode that you just listened to, please consider giving it a like. My name is Todd Butler. Let's talk water again soon.